When Frances Haugen blew the whistle, everything changed. The former Facebook product manager was so repulsed by the company's morals, she said she had to leave. But she took with her a ton of confidential private company documents. She leaked them to the Wall Street Journal, and soon all the world could see what went on behind closed doors at Facebook. It was shocking. You've probably heard about the most explosive revelations, like Instagram knows it hurts teen girls' body image. Facebook knows about the social harm that goes on from bullying to human trafficking. Frances Haugen said she shared the documents because she wants Facebook to be better. Facebook already knows how much it hurts its users. By exposing its lack of action, Frances has hoped that Facebook will finally fix all of its problems. Now, Mark Weinstein isn't so sure. He also went to the Wall Street Journal to talk about Facebook. But unlike Frances Haugen, Mark didn't have any documents to share. Instead, he had a pretty strong argument. Facebook is an advertising and marketing company just masquerading as a social media platform. And Mark should know. Mark is the CEO of MeWe. It's an ad-free platform that is competing directly with Facebook. He says that Facebook is a monopoly that gets rid of competition and that he has the stories to prove it. He even introduced me to a term I've never really seen or heard much before. It's surveillance capitalism. It's the greatest socioeconomic experiment in human history, Mark says. Everything we do is monetized from morning to night. He says we need a resolution to reclaim our privacy. And he's right. Facebook is a textbook of surveillance capitalism run amok. And in this episode of Kim Commando Explains, now, even if you don't have a Facebook account, you're actually still part of the story. Mark and I are doing a deep dive into Facebook's role in our lives. You're not going to believe what you're about to hear. When you're on Facebook, it's unconscionable what they are doing. So stay right where you are. Hey, welcome to Kim Commando Explains. Joining me now is Mark Weinstein. He's the CEO of MeWe.com. It's an ad-free social platform that is trying to compete with Facebook. Now, Mark, before we get into what exactly MeWe is and what you were thinking to take on Facebook. I read this op-ed in the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago, and it's titled, I Changed My Mind, Facebook is a Monopoly, which I definitely want to get into. But how would you define, uh, I think it's a phrase that you actually used, surveillance capitalism? Wow. Um, you know, not only have I used and defined that, I have a TED Talk about that. So thank you for asking. Um, because surveillance capitalism is really a distortion of what capitalism is intended to be. Let's start with the premise of capitalism, Kim. The premise of capitalism is, you know, serving and delighting your customer, and then they will be your, your customer, you know, and your loyal, you know, fan for a lifetime. Surveillance capitalism, which is what Facebook practices, so let's cut to the chase and talk about companies like Facebook, right. um, is a, a style of capitalism where you're actually surveilling your purported customer. Uh, in this case, Facebook tracks, monitors, spies on, collects data, aggregates data, and targets everything about their users. So Facebook knows as uh, Yale Eisenstadt said, the former CIA operative who worked for Facebook, said, Facebook knows more about you than the CIA does. That <laughs> is surveillance capitalism. And that is destructive. It's wrong. It means that they manipulate our purchases, our opinions, 
our votes. They interfere with democracy. Um, they interfere with our emotions. Um, this is very, very bad for human beings. So let's take it apart just a little bit, because I don't know if people fully have a grasp about how much Facebook is really tracking. I mean, because you talked about our likes and our dislikes and our opinions and what we purchase and how we purchase it. So let's just start at the beginning. How would you say that Facebook is being disruptive as far as things that we purchase? Well, you know, uh, let, let's come, let, let's start with a, a new premise about Facebook, which is actually the truth about Facebook. Facebook is a marketing and advertising company masquerading as a social network. So as a marketing and advertising company, because the politicians, the marketers and the advertisers are their customers, those are their paying customers, and they pay to target Facebook's billions of users and to manipulate those, those users to take an action that's in favor of purchase, a vote, et cetera, whatever action that the marketer, advertiser, politician is paying Facebook for. So it starts right there with Facebook aggregates a data packet. And I think there was a reporter, I believe it was from The Guardian, who one day said, Facebook, how much data do you have on me? And then they had to give it to him. And I think it was like 60,000 pages, something. (laughs) No, you're you're right. I remember seeing that going. I don't even know if I have 60,000 pages I would know about myself. Or I don't even know if I have 60 different traits. I've heard a number, and I don't know if you've heard this number too, Mark, about how many different data points that Facebook might have about us. Um, The number that I heard was like 25, 26,000 different data points. And so if you were to envision that you would be having have a, a duplicate of yourself, say an avatar in the cloud in some big database, and it is a full replication of you, so to speak, with these twenty five or twenty six thousand different data points, is that a number that you've heard? That's a number that I've heard. And then when you when you think about it, because Facebook is so sophisticated, they create what's called a data packet. Um, and so they take all of that. And again, back to Yael, who says they know more about you than you know about yourself. They can predict your behavior and they can predict how to influence your behavior because Facebook also very much wants to make money. So they're always attempting to influence your emotions and your purchase decisions in their interest. And can you imagine with that much data that is now aggregated, sorted, analyzed and organized by the world's best data scientists, the world's best psychologists and psychiatrists, because Facebook hires them all. It's scary what Facebook can do to people and how how it can manipulate. And Facebook's audience, remember, is half the world's population. What is it that, um, depending upon which stat that you read, that 30% or could be 60%, depends on the day, where they are actually, where the Americans are saying that this is their primary news source. Okay, this is what they're learning, what happens in the world, you know, in between the psycho family member who wants to talk about politics to somebody else who's taking a test to see what kind of bird they would have been in prehistoric times. I mean, it's just crazy to me. Well, exactly. When you think about Facebook's control, when we talk about, you know, my op-ed that, you know, I've changed my mind that Facebook is a monopoly, One of the reasons I changed my mind, because over the last two years, they've taken control of the news media. They launched Facebook News. They're paying the media 
to produce content and to distribute it on their platform, then Facebook's algorithms decide on whether to boost that content or to bury that content. So Facebook decides what news every individual sees, and Facebook customizes that in a very manipulative and destructive way. It's really, uh, it's so dangerous, it's almost unspeakable. You know, because you're so entrenched in this, could you walk us through say, a story and how Facebook would decide whether to promote it or not? Well, I think it's, listen, I'm just going to, you know, take a personal story or, you know, take a look at at Snap, for example, Snap's Project Voldemort, um, where Snap, you know, studied all the ways that Facebook was interfering with Snap, copying them, muting conversations on their platform. The same thing with MeWe. Facebook, we have you know screenshots of people being put in Facebook jail. They actually, you know, and the posts, and you can see the posts. The posts are just someone saying, hey, let's go over to MeWe. And that becomes content that's flagged that Facebook purposely doesn't allow that person to share with their friends. Um, and then, you know, you take it, take it to the broader, you know, the, the whistleblower, but this was already documented years earlier, that Facebook targets teens. Uh, suicidal teens, you know, I mean, this whole idea of manipulating purchase decisions and opinions and emotions of young people. So they know if a kid is suicidal, what do they do? Then they serve them products. It's all product. What can we sell that kid? Because they're suicidal. It's not, well, we better help this child, help these hundreds of thousands, if not millions of 13-year-olds who have body image issues and suicidal thoughts because of Facebook and Instagram. No, it's all about how can we market products them? How can we sell them based on their fears about their, their body images? And it, it's, it's so terrible. It's diabolical. I mean, it, you know, a moral dilemma at Facebook, I've always said, it's like they see a post from say a terrorist and they have to decide whether or not they should uh, flag that post or start showing this person ads for timers, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, what do we do? <laughs> it's a moral dilemma. Right, for sure. You know, and it's it's um, when when you look at, you know, that kind of, you know, the elite, the the, um, the whistleblower also told us about there's a double standard. So if that terrorist happens to be an Ayatollah or, you know, some nefarious dictator, um, they get a free pass to do the, you know, to, to post hateful violence inciting, you know, um, things on Facebook, they, they get, they get a hall pass. So that in, in and of itself is crazy. And then that whole idea of Facebook, which they own Instagram, right. And which is one of the things that you talked about with the self-image with the teens. I mean, what teenage girl does not have a problem with her self-image teenage boy as well. I mean, and the whistleblower, Francis Haugen, I mean, you know, you, you gotta give her some credit, don't you? I mean, for her to stand up, against this $2 billion company. And she's 37 years old. I don't know if you ever, if you, you probably did, because you're probably that type of guy. But I mean, I went into her background and say like, you know, who exactly is she? I mean, she has a computer engineering degree and she went to Harvard, uh, which was paid for by Google. She doesn't really land anywhere long at any type of uh, company in Silicon Valley. I think, you know, she went to Yelp and Pinterest and she's there like a year, year and a half, two years, maybe tops at Google. But yet, you know, she started seeing this change, seeing this documents, and then she pulled all these documents, confidential, proprietary, I'm sure you know, they were all stamped that way, but she had access to them. And then she turns them over to the SEC and government and who knows what else. But, 
you know, so she now goes in front of Congress and she takes all this to Washington. And it was, I think it was the first time that I actually saw somebody in Washington understand what the hell she was talking about. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you remember when Zuckerberg went there the first time. I mean, it was like, they, I mean, they were confusing him with Twitter, right? <laughs> Excuse me, that was not, not me. But she, but, you know, my point being that, you know, she, she's now going to be drugged through the courts herself, right? I mean, you know, she's going to get sued eight ways from Sunday be, be from Facebook. But was there anything? Be very bad publicity for them, wouldn't it? Yes, exactly. What, what was something that, that Francis talked about that, that shocked you? Well, also, you know, Francis, well, first of all, nothing that Francis said shocked me because I've been writing about Facebook for years. Uh, you know, uh, Messenger for Kids talking about, you know, this, this targeting of children. You know, she reveals that, you know, all the stuff about their efforts to target children. And I wrote about this in 2016 in Europe. I said, you know, hey, uh, Messenger for Kids is a terrible idea. They're slipping this under the rug. Um, you know, it's and, you know, this whole uproar about Instagram for Kids recently. Uh, the fact is the Facebook Messenger for Kids already lied. Six to 12 year olds, they're onboarding on their platform. This is sort of cradle to grave marketing. Uh, you know, they're getting all this data. Sure, they're saying they're not using it. But Facebook lies about everything they do and don't do. And then they pretend to in- endorse and support regulations. And then they violate the regulations and pay the fines as a cost of doing business. Exactly. Exactly. The fine is just a cost of doing business. And, you know, during the whole whistleblower trials that were going on in Washington, I mean, Zuckerberg's sailing <laughs> in Kauai. Yeah. It's like totally, right. totally out of touch. Hey, listen, we have to say a quick thank you to our partners in this podcast because they make it possible. So I want you to stay right where you are. We're in a great conversation with Mark Weinstein, and he is uh, the founder of an ad-free social network with data privacy, uh, no content application. It's called MeWe. We're going to get into that in uh, just a few moments more because I really want to know, like, wow. I mean, talk about taking on Goliath, but we're going to talk more about that. So stay right where you are. Hey, welcome back to Kim Commando Explains. We're talking about Facebook. Is it a monopoly? Is it not a monopoly? How much control do they have over us? And Mark, we were just talking about Instagram for kids and Messenger for kids. But, you know, it also goes back to parents, right? I mean, you know, why aren't parents watching? I've always said, you know, I've been doing this show for over 20 years. And quite frankly, the only time that I really hear, well, I shouldn't say only, but I'd say 90% of the time when I hear from a parent, it's because they weren't watching the kid and now they want to know like what, how they can figure out what's Johnny's doing because Johnny has become a recluse or Janie's not talking to them anymore or they're both hanging out on Xbox or whatever it is. And so it's, it's almost like, you know, like the, the prevention isn't there until they, they catch their kid doing something. You know, it's, it was easier five to 10 years ago to monitor what, you know, our kids were doing uh, it's harder today. By the way, just as a side note, we don't let anybody, you know, we ask 16 or over is what we ask, you know, people when they register. Are you 16 or over? We're not interested. I think it's wrong. Anybody who has kids, you know, you understand how destructive social media is and how time consuming it is and how addictive right. it is. And that's on purpose. So, um, you know, here's the challenge for parents today. You know, kids, if, if you don't give them their, the phone, 
then you can't reach them. If you, you know, you could get them a flip phone, um, but then their friends have phones. Their friends are showing them all this stuff on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube. Um, so the, the tactic that we all have to take today is conversation. Education is to really see it with our children instead of trying to avoid it. Trying to avoid it is just not going to work because they're going to see it outside then. So we're better off seeing it with our kids and then talking to them about it. Yes, so exactly. That's the way to approach it today. And also still do your best to keep kids, you know, limit their time, limit their phones. Don't give them phones too early. Don't give them iPads too early. Don't give them access too early. But be in a dialogue about real life because the best thing we can do with our kids is talk to them about real life, about participating in real life. You know, even the point, Kim, I'm a social media guy. My kids have to look out the window when we're in the car. You know, <laughs> you know we talk about what we see. I don't, you know, in a restaurant, there's no such thing as a phone on the table, not for mommy, daddy, or the kids. You know, we just have to, we've got to bite the bullet and be good parents that way to teach our kids to live in the real world. And then, you know, teach them that this body image stuff is just a bunch of BS and it's not real. And that, you know, everybody has different figures and that you look great and every, you know, um, give our kids confidence to be who they are, not to be some fake facade, which by the way, you'll hear me say sometimes Facebook is for the facade of your life and me is for your real life, the authenticity. It's such a clear differentiation. Well, because on social media, there people are always portraying this great, happy existence that they might have. You know, everything's all wonderful in my life. You know, and and the dialogue is super important. I mean, being able to just talk to your kids about what's going on at each individual life stage. I mean, I remember when Ian was probably twelve. That's my son's name. Um, Ian was twelve or thirteen, and you know, I I, I said, I dare you to take uh, take twenty four hours. And not go on TikTok or Snap or whatever it may be, and he's like, you know, I, I'm not, I don't need to do that. And I so he actually did it himself, and he came back to me after he says, "Wow, you know, that was really great." I actually deleted Snap off my phone. I'm like, yes, okay, that was like a great. We've had bad parenting moments, like the time Mark when I let him drive. I, I don't know. I think it was like 200 miles per hour in the autobahn in Germany. That was a bad parenting moment. But this one was. This particular time, I was like, yeah, this is something really good. But let's switch gears for just a second. Um, what, has, what has given you the gumption? I mean, and what have you done? What did you do before MeWe that you thought like, wow, I can beat Facebook at their own game, but I'm going to do it better and I'm going to protect the consumer. What's your background? So in the late 90s, thank you for asking, because this is not my first social network rodeo, so to speak. In the late 90s, I was there when social networking was invented. There was a whole group of us building different companies. I built a company uh, that had divisions called superfamily.com and superfriends.com, launched in 1998, three years in a row, PC Magazine, top 100 sites. I understand social networking from the beginning, from how it was intended. And it was intended to connect us with our family and friends and like-minded interests around the world because the world, we, you know, our lives had become global. It wasn't invented so that we could become data points and targeted and manipulated and sold down the river. So fast forward, that company was successful. I sold that company in the early 2000s. 
Fast forward to 2010, and Mark Zuckerberg does an interview. Uh, I think it was The Guardian again, and he says to the reporter, a live interview, he says, privacy is a social norm of the past. <laughs> and my jaw dropped. I was like, are you kidding me, man? You run a social network. You just decided for the world that privacy is dead. That's not – you can't do that. That's I think absurd. Was, I think he was 12 then, Mark. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he was serious, and I was like – I told my friends. I said, I'm starting another company. I'm going to fix this. And so we ran a beta project. I relocated to Silicon Valley, sold my houses, liquidated my retirement account, didn't take a salary for years, started hiring engineers, raising money from private investors – and in 2016, we announced MeWe at South by Southwest. We won a nice award as Startup of the Year finalist for Innovative World Technology. And then we just kept on engineering. Today, we have almost 20 million registered users, and we haven't spent a penny on marketing. So this is all organic growth without help from influencers, without help from institutional capital. And now we're really ready to catapult. Um, and, you know, it has been challenging because Facebook mutes all the conversations about MeWe, uh, you know, and he, we've done this just by we've translated the 20 languages. We've got all the features people love and none of the BS. And, Kim, we have a privacy bill of rights for our members and we have a poison pill in our privacy policy. So we can't just go willy nilly and change it. You know, the idea is very simple. Our members are customers to serve and delight, not data to target and sell down the river. So just from a business perspective, how much money have you raised? We've raised about $24 million over the years from high net worth investors. And then um, um, from the $24 million, are you still raising money? We are actually looking right now to make to raise like double the amount that we've raised to do a significant strategic raise with good strategic partners. Um, and also, Kim, our business model works. We have revenue. So picture this. In 2019, we did about $137,000 in revenue. In 2020, we did about $1.1 million in revenue. In 2021, we'll do somewhere between 5 and 7 5 and $8 million in revenue. Our revenue model works. About 4% of our members buy extras. It's a freemium model. MeWe is free. It's free forever. And everything people love is free. You know, disappearing content, stories, a great custom camera, private groups, pages, open groups, uh, you know, private news feeds for your contacts, all the great stuff that people love. And then we have a premium membership that adds a little bit more, live voice and live video, our custom emoji store, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. And it's five bucks a month. And about 4% of our members opt in to premium and that pays the bills. And this is just the beginning because, Kim, as you know, you know, when you serve and delight your customers, they're happy to buy things with sure. you. You know, and because if, you know, if they, them. and if they trust you, I mean, that and that's oh. a really important thing. I mean, you know, one of the, the I think the backbones of of the Commando brand or whatever you want to call it is um, is that trust. You know, and, and people know that when they – whatever they see, they read, they interact with is that it's it's going to be good and it's going to be forthright. What do you project your revenues to be for 2022? Well, I think we'll jump into the 20 to $25 million range um, in 2022 as we grow, 
as we fund and can now, you know, here's how I like to look at it. Maybe one to two percent of social media users worldwide have ever heard of MeWe, and we've already gotten to 20 million. What happens when 50 to 100 percent of social media users worldwide know about MeWe? So then we, our membership will catapult because people do love us. If you look at the reviews, and we've never paid for a review, we've got a half million reviews in iTunes and the Play Store. We've got a 4.4 rating out of five. Facebook has a 2.2 rating. So people, when they discover MeWe, <laughs> they funny. love it. So we do expect that we will grow and catapult. And like I said, now's the time that we want to fund so we can spread the word worldwide. We're translating into 20 languages, by the way. And 50% of our traffic is already international. You know, I, I love your story. I really do. Um, because, you know, everybody loves the underdog, right? And when we come right back, we're going to talk more about the underdog. I want to talk more about how Facebook is going to translate into the, what do they call them, this metaverse company as they buy VR and Oculus Rift. And, you know, where they're saying that now we're going to be living in this VR world, in Facebook's world. So you want to stay right where you are. We have that and a whole bunch more that you're not going to want to miss. Hey, welcome back to Kim Commando Explains. We are having this wonderful conversation with Mark Weinstein. And Mark, you are the underdog. I mean, you are taking on Facebook. And I love this because back way back when, uh, in the 90s, you mentioned the 90s. In the 90s, I had this idea for a tech radio show. And let me tell you, Mark, I called everybody, right? Um, and I don't know if you remember, but there was an infomercial called Computer Tutor. And I sold uh, a lot of videotapes on late night television. And I also started the computer section on AOL and and uh, on America Online. And I wanted to do uh, national radio. And so I called up CBS. And the guy at CBS, who I still know, uh, his name's Frank, but I'm not going to give his last name. Um, he uh, told me that a show about technology, rather, would never work because the Internet was only going to be a fad like the Pet Rock. Uh, then the guy at ABC told me that a show would never work about technology because the only people that would listen to it would be freaks and geeks, Okay, which only propelled me further to say, okay, I'm going to prove you guys wrong, and here we are you know, with my company. I mean, we have no debt. We have no investors, and, and things are, are totally on the upswing despite the pandemic and all the challenges that have come with radio and podcasting and everything else along the way. Now – is there any a time, any point in your life, Mark, or over like the, the past couple of weeks where you sit there and you go, wow, this is really hard, but I know I can do it? Um, it's It's been like that for, you know, several years, Kim, because, um, listen, when you are, you know, the proverbial David in an industry where the Goliath is taking down all the competition, taking them out. As the FTC complaint against Facebook filed in August with the courts, you know, the antitrust complaint, the FTC's updated complaint, it references many companies that are out of business or were acquired and only two that are alive, Snap and MeWe. So, you know, this has been a, a huge challenge, but every morning I've always woken up and said, we're right. You know, there's, first of all, we're right. There's a problem that must be fixed. I mean, you know, so many of us live in America. We're raised with the, the, the ideals 
of this incredible democracy that we have. And remember, the backbone of democracy is the principle of civil discourse, the right to disagree, but also the ability to start companies and give it your best. So, you know, when I started MeWe, I knew it was going to be uphill. Um, in 2012, I said on Fox News, they interviewed me the day before Facebook went public. I was the guy they picked who would say something not nice about Facebook. And I said very simply, they've got privacy wrong. It's going to come back. So, you know, and every day when I wake up, I know that we're right about what we're doing. And yes, it's hard. And yes, it's been hard to raise money from the institutional cap, you know, venture capitalists, because Facebook is so entrenched. Nobody believes that Facebook can, you know, someone can compete with them. And yes, here we are, yes, 20 million strong. We're competing with them, doing the right thing, doing well by doing good. And we're advised, Kim, by the inventor of the World Wide Web, Sir Tim Berners-Lee. It was not Al Gore. It's Sir Tim Berners-Lee. <laughs> and we're advised by the founder of this worldwide movement called Conscious Capitalism, Raj Sisodia, who also coached companies like Southwest Airlines and uh, Whole Foods and the Container Store. And Raj tells me all the time, Mark, companies that do the right thing are always going to do well. And, and, stay with and, and they will. And like one of my pet peeves about Facebook, and I'm not, I, I probably should have said this before, I am not a fan of Facebook. I think it is a diabolical organization. Um, I think, you know, this uh, Sandberg gal who says she's the adult in the room, she's not the adult in the room. She's just there for the profits like everybody else. But the thing that has really irked me, and and this is from my perspective, Mark, um, as a member of the media, is that, you know, for years, I'm sure you saw like, you know, join us on Facebook, on your local news or your radio or whatever it was like here, even small businesses come to us on Facebook. And so, so Facebook fostered and had all these people like send them their their basically build their client base right and get, had their family and friends and their customers and then all of a sudden facebook switched gears on everybody and i heard from so many small business owners who went under when facebook said oh you want to you want to put that post up well if you want to do that post you're going to have to boost the post right so now these small businesses that were depending upon facebook for for customers, they just were cut off at the knees. And why? For profits. And they continually do this. But you, but one of the things that, that I have found is that people don't want to leave Facebook. I mean, it's hard for them to leave because they have their families and friends and their circles and their Facebook marketplace and, uh, you know, the, the places that they're buying and selling and, and, it just becomes very, very, very difficult. I personally have stepped off of Facebook several times. I have to have it for a show presence, and it's done by a member of staff. I'm not on it. But in order to stay in the public eye, I have to be there. But what are the, the biggest obstacles for, for that you hear for when you're trying to get somebody away from Facebook? It's almost like, you know, it's like a drug addiction, it seems. You know, uh, it is actually a drug addiction. And, and, um, you know, Francis Haugen talked about that and talked about how they are purposely trying to make Facebook more addictive than cigarettes. Um, And, you know, what what a terrible approach to a a business, right, in terms of harm, causing harm to people. Um, There's something called the network effect, which is what you're referencing, which is that, you know, so many people have so much going on. And Facebook purposely has also bought 
them, bought their loyalty, um, you know, by paying them for content or, you know, this latest initiative where they have $100 million to pay for, you know, small and minority-owned businesses. They're actually buying their receivables and paying them uh, and paying off their receivables to buy a market segment. And this is, that's, that's monopolistic behavior, and it's wrong because these are people that are suffering and they need the money. So Facebook just buys their loyalty by paying off their receivables and taking over. So for me, we the good news is that today people use four or five different social networks. So what we see is people come over to MeWe for authentic conversations, for private conversations. Remember, you don't want your future husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, uh, your future employers, uh, your future schools, any any people, any significant moments in your life or changes you're going to make in your life, you don't want them to be able to research your life, which they can do very easily on Facebook. So people are coming to MeWe for their real life, authentic conversations. Also, you know, the groups, the groups are on MeWe. We have an open platform inside MeWe, but Google doesn't find anything that's on MeWe. So, you know, what what's on MeWe stays on MeWe. And as we said, you can't boost or amplify. Nobody can target or manipulate you. You choose who your contacts are, the groups you're part of, the pages you follow, and your, your news feed is timeline order. And, you know, there are actually some studies that show that people stay longer per visit on MeWe than on Facebook. So this idea that the algorithm keeps you longer is not true. But the algorithm does create more insightful, outrageous content that grips you and then pushes you into making some kind of a purchase decision or a click. So, so how, how do you prevent hate speech? How do you prevent fake news from spreading? Well, that's, uh, I love that because when you change the business model, which we've done so that nobody can amplify or boost anything on our platform, then you have to pick, to follow it, for starters. So your newsfeed is only what you choose. Nobody is going to amplify or boost on our platform. Even you as a member can't amplify or boost on our platform. And we have a very strict terms. So, and I've talked a lot about this, uh, particularly this year with the media. MeWe has a great trust and safety team. We have a very strict terms. If you look at our terms of service, the first thing is the punch list of what you cannot do on MeWe. You can't incite violence. You can't post hate. You can't dox bully. You can't, you know, violate copyright laws. Uh, you can't break the law. We're not interested. We're for the good guys. But if you have an opinion that's different from mine on any particular topic, as long as you follow our rules, it's none of my business. So, you know, MeWe doesn't, we have no double standard. There's no elites that get special treatment. Everybody gets the same. And besides our trust and safety team, there is, um, you know, report and block on every post, on every profile, on every group, on every page. So our members participate every day in letting us know if they see something that they think violates the community rules. And we're up to date. We investigate every day. We make decisions about, you know, whether something is, is appropriate or not. Again, no double standards and very clear rules of engagement, civil discourse. Um, you know, we're not going to censor you because you think an aspirin is good for your heart and the other guy thinks an aspirin is bad for your heart. That's none of our business. You know, it's fascinating, Mark. And congratulations on what you've built so far. Um, I'm really excited for your future. I mean, you know, two years ago, what'd you say? Two years ago, you had, what, what'd you say? Five million and no revenue? Five million folks right. and no revenue? Right. 
And, you know, if you look at next year, I, you know, you can, I think, you know, the, I think the stars are aligned. Uh, and I think your hard work over the last, well, more than 20 years, I mean, because you've been in the tech industry, you're no, obviously you're no overnight success. I think it's, I think it's going to be really wonderful to see. And I think the American public will embrace it, especially as they, they get tired of being manipulated and knowing that they're being manipulated, but but no real safe haven to go afterwards. And people don't like change generally, right? I mean, people don't want to change. But this is a change that I think is forthcoming. And I just want to say thank you for sharing your story with us. And, and thanks for spending some time with me. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure. You know, um, the world is changing and Facebook is acting like a 100-year-old company, you know, bullying and uh, sort of myopic. Um, and, you know, the world is going to change right around them. So, you know, I hope it does. Here and, you know, we're ready to, you know, do things the right way. We, we like to say MeWe is social done right. Mark Weinstein was there when social networking was invented. When Mark Zuckerberg said privacy is a thing of the past, he says his jaw dropped. Although Zuckerberg doesn't value privacy, I do. And you should too. Before you leave me on this podcast, let me share a few tips. First, when you're setting up your social media accounts, spend some time setting up strong privacy security protections. You want strong passwords, okay? And never reuse your passwords across different sites. I know it's easier, but it's a privacy nightmare. Secondly, most social media profiles are public by default. So I want you to change it. Make it so that only your friends can see your profile. You don't want criminals and scammers or anybody else just seeing your photos or your location. That just helps them create scams and target you. Third, treat all your data like you share, like it's public. Don't reveal personal information over messenger apps. Never use your real phone number, okay, or your email address to sign up for apps, games, and quizzes. You can use Google Voice to create a second phone number, which will definitely cut down on the number of robocalls and other scam calls. These are just a few tips off the top of my head. For more specific advice, and if you need the step-by-step guides for staying safe, just head over to the website. That's commando.com with a K, of course. And a quick thank you and shout out goes to Mark Weinstein for spending some time and sharing his knowledge with us here on Kim Commando Explains. And do me a huge favor, wherever you get your podcast, be sure that you rate, review, you subscribe, you follow, because that's how more people find out about us. And if you're looking for the Kim Commando Show podcast, you can subscribe to that on Apple, on Android, and also you can always find it over at commando.com, where you actually get a 30-day free trial, but you have to go to getkim.com. Once again, that address to get a free month of the Kim Commando Show as a podcast and as a webcast and to use the message boards and a whole bunch of more fun stuff. That address is getkim.com. And thanks for listening.